This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and wellbeing of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. I'm your host, Cal Hawk, and here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues intersecting and interwoven into the health and well-being of our gender, sex, and sexually diverse communities. Now, Well, Well, Well is produced on the lands of the Boon people here at Joy Studios in the Victorian Pride Center, and this week's show actually features conversations I had on the lands of the Turbo people uh, when I was in Brisbane or Minjin for IAS 2023, the Conference on HAV Science. The five-day international conference, IAS 2023, occurs every two years and showcases the latest clinical research and scientific developments on the global response to HIV and AIDS. Now, this time last year, I attended IAS's International AIDS Conference, AIDS 2022, in Montreal, and much of that conference was discussing the emerging MPOX, or monkeypox, outbreak at the time. Now, during IAS 2023, this year, I talked to Matteo from the World Health Organization about where we're at one year on and some of what we've learned along the way. In particular, for men who have sex with men in Latin America, where the impact of MPOX has been particularly severe. Now, speaking of MPOX, we have had a couple of cases recently, just this week, reported here in Melbourne. Whether you've only had your first vaccine shot, missed out on getting vaccinated altogether, but especially if you've got any overseas travel on the horizon, now is the time to get fully vaccinated against MPOX or monkeypox. For more info, head to Thorn Harbor's website, thornharbor.org slash MPOX. That's thornharbor.org slash M-P-O-X, where you can find out more information around monkeypox, as well as how you can get your vaccination to make sure that you are protected as best as possible from MPOX. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbor Health. This week on Well, 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 I'm sharing some of the conversations I had at the recent IAS conference in Brisbane. This time last year, many of us were focused on MPOX, or then monkeypox as we were calling it, as we were experiencing an unprecedented global outbreak amongst men who have sex with men. One year on, I sit down to chat to infectious diseases epidemiologist and public health consultant from the World Health Organization, Mateo, about MPOX. Here's some of that conversation. Uh, I'm Mateo Prohaska. I'm a medical doctor and epidemiologist. I work with the World Health Organization supporting the MPOX response, uh, which I've been doing for the last year. I work at the lo- at the global level, but mo- a lot of my focus is in Europe and in Latin America, where uh, MPOX has hit the hardest, although we do uh, respond based on what the local trends are. And I'm a gay man and Latin American, uh, gay man living in London. And I feel like my uh, identity and my experience really helps me to inform the work I do. With regard to the work that you do, can you tell us a little bit about the study that you showed the finding from yesterday here at IAS? Of course. So uh, we conducted at WHO a survey using dating applications for gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men, but also for trans and gender diverse people looking at changes in sexual behavior, MPOX diagnosis, MPOX vaccination, and other concerns and worries related to MPOX uh, in 23 countries. The focus of the study was to inform the outbreak response at the global level, um, looking specifically at the need to improve the quality of the response that we were delivering in Europe and the Americas, especially one year after the outbreak. Uh, The survey had more than 16,000 people responding and providing answers. 
And the key findings were that MPOX was felt across all the 23 countries, producing significant impact in communities uh, and the way they interact with one another, but also in individual experiences, producing not just pain and skin lesions and systemic symptoms, but also experiences of shame, of discrimination, and uh, some, in some cases lasting skin marks and consequences for people who were affected by MPOX. I want to ask you about the skin marks because I thought that was a really interesting, that was sort of a key concern that you got from populations. What was, can you tell us a little bit more about that concern? So we asked people whether they had any concerns regarding to MPOX during the outbreak and 6 out of 10 people who responded to the survey said they had concerns about getting MPOX or the consequences of MPOX in their health. The key concern that people had was related to skin marks or scars, specifically because they felt that these skin marks or scars could mark them as different or could lead to stigma and discrimination in a variety of settings, whether this was in healthcare settings, in the workplace, in educational settings, or even with sexual partners. People who had skin marks or scars also felt uh, shame or a sense of of, of guilt and an impact on their self-esteem because of the changes to their physical appearance. Most of the changes to this physical appearance were acute, so they just happened in the duration of the illness, but some people got more lasting scars, more lasting skin marks that affected the way they conducted their lives after recovering from MPOX. It was interesting that you mentioned that because I, I think as we chatted before, skin marks seemed to be this concern for us even when we were doing vaccination because of the marks that are left behind from intradermal vaccination as opposed to subcutaneous. So that was really interesting to hear about. I also want to ask as well, what did the findings find with regard to changes to sexual behaviors? So uh, what we found was that 50% of people who responded to the survey, so half of the population who, of, the, of the study sample, said that they made, they made changes to their sexual behavior between May and December 2022. The way these changes looked usually involved reducing the number of sexual partners, avoiding group sex, avoiding going to sex clubs or saunas, but also having uh, open conversations with their partners about MPOX, and in some cases avoiding the use of drugs in sexual contexts. Um, we saw that people actually changed their behavior for a long period of time. Up to one third of people who changed their behavior were still making changes one year after the outbreak was declared. And in many cases, these changes were sustained or maintained because people were still struggling to access vaccination or because they still felt that they could contract the infection and they were trying to protect themselves. With regard to vaccination, what were the barriers that people were reporting around vaccination? Is it just that they didn't have availability or is it, what's the bigger picture? Well, we did find very stark regional differences in vaccination rates per country and per region. So Latin America had 6% vaccination coverage compared to the US and Canada that had 60%. Europe had closer to 40%. So there's definitely an element of access. Most people who were not vaccinated said that the main reason for not being vaccinated was lack of availability or access of this vaccine. And we know that specifically in Latin America where vaccination rates were the lowest, this is because many governments have not uh, gone to purchase the vaccine or to deploy the vaccine, usually using the excuse of lack of sufficient evidence about the vaccine being effective. For example, in Mexico, there is no vaccine whatsoever because the government says that the vaccine is not effective, that there is not sufficient evidence. Even though the U.S. has, for example, said that they could donate vaccination to Mexico, which is a neighboring country, they have not gone to purchase or accept these donations because they said there's no sufficient scientific evidence. And the community in Latin America is quite angry and rightfully so and demanding that access to these interventions that are life-saving interventions is granted but a lot of the response and the way mpox has been shaped is 
grounded in homophobia, it's grounded uh, in, in structural racism as well, in, in transphobia, and in, in general, in, in, in the same structures that made uh, HIV control in the region uh, a, a difficult endeavor. Before I was chatting to you around, you know, we are having a growing uh, Latin American population here in Australia, and I think that point around the d stark difference, you know, here in Australia we've made some really great strides forward with regard to LGBTIQ equality. The work is certainly not over, especially for our trans and gender diverse communities, but for people who are maybe, especially for like with so many more Latin American people coming here to Australia, I think what should we kind of understand or take into account with regard to those cultural differences and the inequalities they face back home or in their home country rather? Yeah, I think I, I've been reflecting on this a lot because I'm Latin American myself. I'm originally from Peru, but I live in London. And one of the key takeaways for me is that Latino American or Latino or Latinx or Latine, however you want to call it, is an identity of exportation. When you're back in your home country in Central America or South America, you do not identify as Latino. You identify as Chilean, Colombian, Peruvian, Guatemalan. We're such a heterogeneous community. But when we migrate, we, shame the, we, we, we share the same cultural barriers, the same language barriers to accessing services. We have similar ways of looking at things or understanding uh, our relationship with healthcare, for example. And that's when having a common identity for us, from, for, this, for this diverse region, comes into, into play. I think the key thing people need to understand is that Latin Americans are a very diverse community. We don't all look the same. We don't all talk the same. Uh, but when we emigrate, when we enter new, new, new contexts, we do need additional support sometimes to link to services, specifically as queer people. We are not used to our governments deploying services that are for us and by us. So some of the most remarkable experiences for Latinos, the first time they access high-income countries, is that they have sexual health clinics where there's people who are also queer, who are not stigmatizing, who can help you access services. But we usually are not aware that these services are in place. So there needs to be a route for us as soon as we migrate that links us to these services so we can improve and control our sexual health. It's a fantastic point. I want to ask you a little bit now around, uh, in the survey, you talked about the use of technology. And in the LGBTIQ community, and specifically in the gay community, you know, there's a lot of criticism of hookup apps like Grindr and Scruff and Hornet and whatnot. But this actually provided a really important tool for your research. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I, I think we need to offer the counter-narrative that apps are actually a great resource for our community. Uh, oftentimes the relationship between governments and communities is broken because especially specifically in settings where there's like very high levels of structural homophobia governments rarely have links or strong links with community organizations or ways to understand the perspectives of, of our communities what social media specifically apps for for queer men allow is to rapidly disseminate information but also collect information so in the study we did in just 11 days working with three or four applications, we got more than two million impressions across 23 countries. So the survey was not just a data collection activity, but also an intervention to deliver key findings and facts about MPOX. The survey included a landing page with information about monkeypox and how we have changed recently the name to MPOX, for example. So it was also a, a way to deliver information. I think uh, dating apps are a really key resource for us, for outbreak preparedness, for epidemic response, to make sure that communities are engaged with information, but to make sure that our voices can also be heard and amplified when responding to these problems. Just lastly, I think you gave some stats yesterday around the huge amounts of deaths from MPOX because they were kind of rare, but there's a huge amount of deaths from MPOX and a large portion of the global cases of MPOX. Um, and, and I guess where, how many of those actually have kind of existed within Latin America. What do you think are some of the major barriers standing between 
men who have sex with men and accessing testing and services they need to look after their health and well-being. I know you've kind of touched on this to some extent, but yeah, if you could speak to that. Yeah. Well, one of the key predictors for MPOX um, mortality is having uncontrolled and advanced HIV. Um, so it's often in settings where HIV programs are not set up in a way that is accessible and not stigmatizing that people are going to have uncontrolled HIV and then acquire MPOX and get severe presentations and eventually maybe die. So Latin America specifically, because of cultures like machismo, homophobia and stigma within HIV programs, will often have people living with HIV who are not accessing treatment regularly, who may not have the strongest immune system, and that in some cases may actually get MPOX and, 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 and pass away. So that's what we saw during the epidemic. Most of the deaths due to the recent outbreak has, has, have come from Latin America, but this is at the intersection of, of HIV programs, of homophobia and lack of access to, to services. So it's, it's a complex situation. It's not just about MPOX, it's about other factors that are going around it. And actually WHO is presenting, I think, uh, during the conference, some analysis from the Global Case Series, finding that living with HIV is not associated with MPOX mortality, but living with HIV and being immunosuppressed is. So it's really important that people living with HIV are engaging with services to protect their health and make sure that MPOX, if, happen if it happens, is just a mild illness. You mentioned one term there that I'm familiar with coming from North America, but I think a lot of Australians may not know. Machismo. Can you explain what that is and what that means in a contemporary landscape? Yes, of course. So machismo is a way of sexism uh, that is very, very commonplace in Latin America. And it's actually a, a manifestation of patriarchy, a manifestation of, of structures that value manhood over uh, feminine traits. And they affect a variety of problems in, in the region. Of course, this is also present in, in, in many other countries, but we call it machismo in Latin America. Um, it can be expressed in gender-based violence. It can be exp expressed in homophobia. It can be expressed in uh, men having rights that women do not have. So uh, the... the, the, the fights for feminism, fights for like gender equality, fights for like equal rights for LGBT people are, are responses to machismo in the region. And this is a structure that is quite pervasive and very present in the systems that have been set up. And oftentimes it leads to people who are LGBTQI+, for example, not accessing services or not being able to express their femininity as well. So there's a lot of this mask for mask culture as well within the region that is a, 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 a symptom of, of deeper machismo. Mateo, thank you so much for your time and all the best for the rest of the conference. Pleasure. Thank you very much. That has been another episode of Well, Well, Well. If you want to catch up on the latest episodes of Well, 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 make your way to joy.org.au slash well, 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 where you can listen to this and previous episodes of Well, 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 as well as subscribe to our podcast. And while you're online, head to thornharbor.org slash mpox. That's thornharbor.org slash mpox. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we have had a couple cases this week of mpox here in Melbourne. If you missed out on getting your vac vaccination previously, only got your first shot, and especially if you're planning some overseas travel, make sure you get fully vaccinated. You can contact Thorn Harbor Health Center Clinic here at the Victorian Pride Center or head to thornharbor.org slash mpox, where you can find more info as well as links to find the nearest service for you to get your monkeypox vaccination. We'll be back next week with another episode of Well, Well, Well. I'm Cal Hawk, and until next time, look after yourself and those around you. You're listening to Joy and the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and well-being and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. 
head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.